I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Ms. Marvel, the TV miniseries. Season one, question mark? Universe 616. Let's hope. That's uh, TV and movies, movies, not comics. (laughs) Okay, so first off, I just want to say, I get it. You get what? High school. Kamala. Kamala. Another adventure shirt. Cute. She thinks I'm some kind of weirdo. You are a weirdo. Boys. Excuse me. Yeah. (laughs) You're kind of on my shirt. Sorry. But you're staring out the window in your little fantasy land. Kamala, hey, already? Really? Come on, like. Do I have to figure out my whole future before lunch or is like. Maybe they're right. I spend too much time in fantasy land. That is not you. It's not really the brown girls from Jersey City who save the world. That's a fantasy too. Something happened to you? No, why? Did you hear something? Come on, love. What does it feel like? Cosmic. I always thought I wanted this kind of life. But I never imagined any of this. Do you know what you are? With us are longtime friends of the show, Brendan Agnew. How's it going? Name Chibati. Hey, everybody. And Chris Finnick. Hello there. <laughs> and this is, in fact, our second Ms. Marvel podcast. Five years ago, at the time of recording in 2017, we recorded a commissioned episode talking about the first arc of the comic book series by Sana Amanat, G. Willow Wilson, and Adrian Alfona. That show featured the great comics guru, Alastair Stewart, and is absolutely worth listening to along with this one. In that show, which I have conveniently moved up and placed just behind this one on the main feed, we talked about Kamala, who I kept calling Kamala, Kamala as an inspirational young new Muslim superhero girl thoroughly worthy of her own movie, and I speculated an ongoing TV series might be an even better fit. But at the time, we were still more than two years off of Disney+, and The Mandalorian, and nearly four years off of WandaVision, bringing the MCU to TV in a way that had not yet hit that hard or that authentically before. So at the time, it was like Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., would probably be a sort of better fit for uh, for Kamala at that point. But I, I still felt like she deserved her own movie because at the time it wasn't the same to be Marvel TV. Now, huh, we're in mid-22 and frankly the TV has been a little bit better than the movies for me this year with Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, She-Hulk just down the road looking good up against the contentious Multiverse of Madness and the disappointing Thor Love and Thunder which we are likewise going to have to wait for the Disney Plus version to revisit and cover on a show in a few months time. Now it is hot today so we need to focus lest our brains 
boil. I aimed for 90 minutes with the Obi-Wan show and we ended up talking for two and a half hours and the delirious deleted material is available in the Cutting Class episode on Patreon. So today I am going to give us a tight 60 minutes, oh 60 minutes is tight, to cover this starting now. Luckily, all the ground we covered in 2017 is right there to combine with this as a sister show so we can talk chiefly about the adaptation from page to screen. I have a stack of bullet points with various characters and scenarios, so let us jump into it by first asking ourselves, how do we like the way that Kamala Khan was portrayed here across these six episodes and performed by Iman Vellani? So, you know the picture of Rosa talking about... When Jason died seven days ago, I didn't give a rat's ass. This is your speech? Because I didn't understand why people care so much about their dumb dogs until I got a dumb dog myself. I've only had Arlo for a day and a half, but if anything happened to him, I would kill everyone in this room and then myself. Very violent eulogy, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I think I said that exact same thing about her. I think Iman Milani is the MCU's new secret weapon. Mm. She might be a new Steve Rogers. (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot of personal weight behind that one because she's very clearly portrayed as being, you know, a little bit ADHD or ADHD adjacent. And we're mm. definitely dealing with how much Marion is on that particular spectrum because she definitely is. But I, I think this this particular character's introduction is pretty legendary, even among the the MCU's tight track record of we want to make you like this person as soon as possible yeah immediately like super charismatic immediately likable it's mm. like it's impossible not to like her basically there are some mcu roles that are just iconic you know you've got robert downey jr and chris evans and uh, tom holland now has really solidified himself and in just six episodes i think that iman valani is just a titan among um, who has been casted to play these characters. I think that she gets everything about the spirit of the character right, which is the love of Marvel, <laughs> really. I, it, it just comes down to really um, liking their role their, in the universe that they live in. Iman Vellani dressed up as Ms. Marvel for Halloween, buying the bits of her costume from a thrift store when she was 15. If there was a hammer for Ms. Marvel, it would be glowing. Maybe I'm jumping ahead of myself, but with everything about Phase 4 being focused on trauma, it's nice that we have somebody who's kind of happy to show up and save the day. Yeah. It's been focused on trauma and the fallout from the snap and then the blip, uh, but also allowing the adults to step back a little or the uh, adults who've been in the background to step forward a little and most definitely a younger generation to step up to the plate mm. and this this i think captures that in a way that uh it just absolutely crystallizes what kind of superstars have been waiting in the wings absolutely and that mm-hmm. in terms of where the mcu goes next That is going to be really key for me because one of the things that I was really starting to feel about it was that having dispensed with all of the build-up to Infinity War and Endgame and having played that out and got to the point where we're in this sort of very weird hanging in the balance kind of mid-section of where do we go next, what world do we have now to move into 
and I kept seeing things that made me think they don't know where they're going with this. They're, they're feeling this uncertainty that the rest of the world is feeling right now in terms of post all the political upheaval that's been going on in the last few years, post the pandemic. Uh, hopefully soon we will be post this ridiculous um, period of adapting to changes in persistent weather conditions and and all of the rest of it which I will not go into in massive detail because we just don't have the time and it's a hundred degrees in this room and we can't put a fan it's, on it is insane I am really not comfortable at all and um, many thanks to all of our American guests over the years who have dutifully turned off their air conditioners to podcast with I'm us absolutely I'm so sorry <laughs> we ever even <laughs> requested that I really am especially continue yeah, sorry. Focus. Anyway, back to the point. Come on. Um, the the forming of what seems to be this leap into the I won't say the kids table, but just this team of younger people who are stepping up to the plate and preparing to take over. Mm gives me a great deal of heart in terms of where they want to go with this. How successful they'll be, we'll see, but I like the groundwork that they've they've planted so far. It's and been more successful than Star Wars. Yeah, it has a bit. But speaking possibly of Star Wars, although Alex might elbow me and go spoilers, um, but something that we read very recently contained... You can, no, it's not spoilers. Yeah. Okay. This is the, right, the Princess enough. Leia novel. It's the Princess Leia novel. Um, and we need Claudia to encourage Ray. people to... Everybody should read it. It's great. Yeah. It's really fantastic in terms of filling in some of the gap between little Leia, who we've seen, and uh, older Leia and where she goes next. Even though it was written before, way before Obi-Wan. It was yeah. 2017. Absolutely. But it, really good job. But there's, there's a line in there about adults having to accept that there comes a point where the the world the better world that they have been fighting for for their children is something that those same children are ready to step up and fight for too and i think that's the point we're at with this the kids are they've always been there in the background or at least once we got a certain way into the MCU, this idea that there were going to be future generations coming forward was always there. We're now at that point. We need to see them. We need to experience their 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 being born into this world where there have always been heroes. That's the thing. We're at the stage now where these kids are old enough and yet young enough that they don't really know a world without Marvel heroes. This is their Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I think that Iman Vellani really kind of nails, especially early on, is she she showcases Kamala as having the the enthusiasm and the drive to like join this world, but she's also clearly a hot mess. Mm -hmm. She's very, very definitely in the like the Peter Parker category of wow, this this character is biting off way more than they can chew. But it's it's in a way that we haven't really seen. Like there, there's just these different wrinkles and things in the way she brings this across, and and especially the way Adil and Bilal direct that first episode to sort of put you in her head. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I I really let, that's my favorite thing about the Phase Four so far is the feeling of of the next generation t stepping up, because it feels like it's taking advantage of something like the MCU is kind of unique in in that in that because. You know, these are real people, real actors, and you know, time stands still for no one. They they can't do the comic thing where like 
Spider Peter Parker is 30 for 30 years <laughs> or whatever. Like they they have to keep going. And I was so thinking actually... about that today. Actually, that we are going to see Kamala grow from the age she is now to about thirty for her run. Potentially so. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, yeah. sorry. Carry on. I'm so sorry. But no. But it's it's so it's just so you don't get the problem where the, like one major character will have like seven underlings like like batman has like i always go back batman has five robins there's been five robins but he's still batman it's still bruce wade and you, you you'll never have that problem you you can always they, they have to keep going because eventually these actors want to retire from these roles or will have to retire from these roles it kind of feels like they set- should uh, advance bruce wayne in the movies and stop bringing us back to this moody I lonely know. dude <laughs> Or just at least put Dick Grayson in something. No! People will think he's trying to fuck Dick Grayson! We can't! (sighs) (laughs) But, yeah, so it's great to see, you know, the the young up-and-comers and and the the one solid theme I can always pick up on is that we're definitely setting up young Avengers at some point down the line. I wrote this today on the Discord. I have just realized one of the elements that stings about Carol taking years and years to get here in the MCU, mainly because they were battling Ike Perlmutter and various other people going, well, there's there's no money in female superheroes. Um, And then immediately flying off to visit every other planet in existence except Earth to see if they need a hand. In a real-world context, she disappeared during the last two years of Trump, during the last two years before Brexit, and she was away the whole fucking pandemic. Which is still going on, by the way. People we know are still getting fucking COVID. It's not over, folks. It's just that we've kind of all agreed to go back to normal and, and like, weather it like a flu. So now, when Carol turns up to guest star in Kamala's movie, it is going to be far too little too late. So when she turned up at the end, I was like, oh, hey, mom, did you get those cigarettes? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it definitely feels like it might have been a mistake to have, specifically have Captain Marvel have been a period piece. Mm-hmm. And so like it adds that, like, oh, yeah, and then she disappeared for 30 years. Yeah, what it adds is, is, is fun, but what it takes away is real fucking bad. <laughs> I was thinking about what you said this morning, and the same thing happens with Captain America, mm. but the difference there is that it's a tragedy. Oh, right? yeah. He, if, he if, gets if, those years robbed from him. If Carol had been frozen in stasis for all that time, it would feel like uh, almost exactly analogous with Steve Rogers. But right. her directly not being there, it often uh, this ties in with Kamala because I'm thinking, she's not worth your adulation. <laughs> I really wanted <laughs> Captain Marvel to be fucking awesome and for us to be like, yes! Like we, she is in the comics. Like she is in the comics. We finally got that Superman for Marvel because that's her closest, like she's a bit more sort of militaristic and maybe a little Green Lantern-y, mm-hmm. which is appropriate considering Kamala's powers. But it, it felt like she needs to deserve the fangirling that Kamala gives her. But... I don't know. I, uh, if you listened to our uh, Marvel rewatch, I was quite scathing when we got to Captain Marvel. And ultimately, a lot of that is to do with real world issues. The film itself is still good. It's just that she hasn't been back in any kind of concerted way. And uh, mainly because they had to introduce Kamala properly first mm-hmm. so that they could then pave the way for the expanded version of her universe with the Marvels, which I'm sure will be great. And the, yeah. the intro to the comic that we reread today, where. Uh, there. Universe, not hers. Yes. 
uh, where Kamala has the initial dream about Iron Man, Captain America and Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. It did occur to me, Captain Marvel is their Superman. Mm-hmm. Captain America is their Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and Iron Man is their Batman. Oh, my. That's your your big three for, for Marvel. Hmm. Almost like Carol should have been in Endgame. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> she no, was in like Endgame. It. Not really. Mm. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, Mom turned up to my fucking recital. I mean, she was there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> she was at the back. She like, yeah. didn't see she much. She was at the back looking disapproving like Carol at Tony Stark's funeral. Yeah, she was so on She brought me a flower. <laughs> Sorry, I am again. I'm bitching about this, and I'm again. I'm really looking forward to the Marvels, but from like for me, it's kind of a Kamala thing more than anything else. I, I, we were watching Spider-Man: Far From Home last night, the middle one of the trilogy, where he goes to Europe, and I started thinking, why was this Talos? Why is it not actually Nick Fury? Feels like Nick bonding with Peter is providing a much-needed mentor figure in this film. Obviously, you got Tony Stark in the first one. You've got Stephen Strange in this third one. First one, he's told, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it, okay? That's it. It's done. And he absolutely proves that he is Spider-Man without the suit. He is Spider-Man in a hoodie. He makes a decision. He does not stand by and let bad shit happen. That's what he was doing before Tony, and it's what he's doing after Tony. And in No Way Home, Stephen's like, we have to send your enemies back to the dimensions they came from. It doesn't matter if they're going to die. And Peter's like, no, no. Mercy, rehabilitation. And he actively challenges his mentor in that one. Now, in the middle movie, he's desperately in search of a mentor. Nick Fury behaves like an absolute asshole because in reality, he's on vacation and he sent his life model decoy, which makes me wonder how often Nick Fury was actually Talos. So then, like a monkey falling out of a tree, Peter grabs at the first branch that looks and feels like Tony Stark. Fucking Quentin Beck deliberately makes himself look like Tony Stark. He's got the hair and the beard, kind of the mannerisms. He's not doing a direct impression of him. He's kind of trying to be more noble, which reminds Peter of Tony at the very end just so he can get into this kid's back pocket and get given this ridiculous weapon system that Tony Stark left him. I'd have been fine with an apartment, Mr. Stark. But what if the middle mentor was Carol Danvers? You know, super powerful lady. She's been away from Earth for ages, wants to be a bit more hands-on, already got kind of a pre-established brief relationship with Peter Parker. Yeah, I know they had a relationship in the comics. There's a big age difference now. This version of Carol was born in 1966. She'd have been 57 years old during Far From Home. Hi, I'm Peter Parker. Hey, Peter Parker. I have aged phenomenally. But in the absence of the other major Avengers, she's like, I have to step up to the plate and do this. And ultimately, that could lead to kind of a difference of what the best thing to do is between her and Peter. It gets Carol some much needed support time in the MCU. And obviously, the intention was always get her doing this with Kamala anyway. But Kamala wasn't anywhere on the scene. You needed someone for that middle movie. And Carol needed somewhere to become more of a character. I'm knitting my fingers together right now. But no, it was fake Nick Fury. And Quentin Beck spitefully wrecked Peter's life. Because S.W.O.R.D., including Nick Fury, the real Nick Fury, left him twisting in the wind. 
Thank you for that low-carb shield. I would have thought, like, after, at least after Captain Marvel, that they were going to try to do a Steve thing with, like, oh, hey, if you travel at the speed of light, mm. uh, time dilation is a thing. Yeah. And, like, oh, like, oh, she gets back and 30 years has passed. And, and she's upset. It. Yeah. But yeah. They, they didn't that do worked. that. So, so. Also, just the, the fact that the film, Captain Marvel, Maria Rambo's like, you disappeared for years. I mourned you. Where were you? You didn't say anything. And it's like, yeah, get used to that, Maria. <sighs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, in Endgame, when they're like, oh, she does that a lot, she's never even apologetic about the fact. Like, oh, sorry, this is more important. Yes. There's other things that I needed to be doing. You know what, Carol? The snap didn't need to happen. And also, watching a certain Thor movie recently, I was like, do you know what space-faring adventurer could have really lent a hand at this stage? In a way that actually wouldn't have detracted from the other strong female characters, at least one of whom was taken out of action and just sort of put on the bench during fucking Act 3. Anyway. Anyway, Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel. Kamala Khan. <laughs> I love the singing, the dancing, her facial expressions, the little additions to the, you know, when she's when she's texting and then she walks through the streets and they've got like sort of like drawings and things and like all of her inventiveness and creativity is is splashed all over the world. It sort of picks up the quirkiness from the uh, uh, the Spider-Man Home trilogy and and runs with it and makes it even more. Um, Supercharged. She feels like she's surrounded by a world made of brightly coloured chalks and neon. Yeah. Mm. I also loved the bit where um, she was sat down uh, with the guidance counsellor who tried to feed her the Reflections song from Mulan. Uh, and I was like, I realised when I was watching it, she was not paying attention. I went, take her on a walk through the quad. She's got ADHD. It will mean that she doesn't have to look at your face and she can think about what you're saying and kind of stim as she's going around. This is a way better way of talking to Kamala than forcing her to sit there being sassy and not really taking in what you're saying, which is ineffectual. But he's still not as bad as Mr. Frond from Bob's Burgers, who is the worst. <laughs> yeah, this is very clearly a, a girl who needs, like, screening and accommodations whose parents haven't, like made peace with the fact that she needs those and so like has not been getting you know some of the 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 things that she needs to correctly process her environment yeah yeah now her parents now that you bring it up watching it the second time around uh i realized that um the actress playing army um that is one of the finest dramatic performances in all the mcu that we've seen so far it's subtle but the the amount of stuff she has to handle and juggle is and, and she, she performs it like someone in a really high quality family drama which is how she's treating this mm-hmm. i love that that kamala's family are so relatable and vibrant but at the same time you can see where all these tensions lie and it's it's it, in the same way that um uh, everything everywhere all at once is like the farewell um, by uh, Aquafina, but like exploded outwards in terms of uh, philosophy and uh, martial arts and and, uh, and metaphysics. This feel like there's plenty right now of Disney's mommy is strict but she means well, and of those that we've seen recently, this one specifically from her performance and the way she talks to her daughter and the way she talks to her mother 
might be my favourite so far. I would agree. Yeah. And I think part of the reason behind that is the fact that they have, it's not just one mother-daughter relationship. Mm. It is a chain of mother-daughter relationships. Even if you go back to including Aisha and the fact that Sana was separated from her at such a young age. And so that has become a formative experience for her, the absence of her mother. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and the fact that that is something that's, it's slightly different from the comics. The, the family have been softened from the comics perspective, which I really appreciated because it means that the TV show gives us a slightly different perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not just through Kamala's, uh, Kamala's eyes. It's through the the sort of this third person perspective where we get to see the pressures and stresses that are influencing her parents as well. Mm-hmm. All of her family feel like individual characters who all bring their own stuff to the table. Nobody feels like anyone's leaning on tired stereotypes, which was wonderful. And where there is not so much stereotype, but sort of a a more widely relatable scenario like that mother-daughter conflict, Mm -hmm. it's subverted and given its own space to breathe and and do its own thing. In, In particular, one of the things that I really appreciated was that her mother's strictness... And the and her restriction, the restrictions that she places on uh, Kamala, the shift that takes place where she suddenly starts to see things a bit more from her daughter's perspective doesn't happen just because the narrative requires it to. It happens because they go back to Karachi, she spends time with her own mother, she gets to reconnect with that relationship, reinterpret it, and see how that's being funneled onto Kamala. All of that is going on in the background. You don't necessarily have a sit-down info dump about that's the reason why this change has taken place. It just feels very natural that one flows from the other. The scene where she asks uh, grandmother... Why have you got all these toffee boxes around the place? And they just have a, a heart-to-heart between mother and daughter about disappointment. And like, you left, you went off to America. I was waiting for you to come back. And maybe it's time for you to come with us. There is no way that would have made an MCU movie. These scenes happen all the time with the heroes. And occasionally they're support cast, but not two very non-superpowered ladies discussing a very domestic situation. It, it doesn't yeah. serve the plot or move it forwards, but it's richness that builds this into something really special. Mm. I love that this actually, like, this is a, a fine case for it being a TV show, rather a miniseries, a rather than a film. Mm. More than any of them so far, apart from WandaVision, because whereby that was the, specifically to do yeah, with the, the episodic nature of it allowed us to jump through time in that same way. Mm. Whereas a lot of the yeah. other ones, like Hawkeye and Loki, I feel like those could definitely have just been movies, and Eternals could conversely have been a better articulated mm. TV show. Mm-hmm. I I really like that the not only is this like about generational conflict like we've seen in a couple of the recent stuff but it's it's like each generation is reacting to the other like mm. like uh uh Kamala's mama Maniba is strict it seems like because her own mother wasn't mm. like it's implied that you know the the grandmother was very kind of like flighty and and had loads of crazy theories mm. yes exactly which were all sort of relating to something which eventually happens to them. Mm-hmm. But not only that, you you can kind of extrapolate how, you know, Nani's relationship with her daughter, you know, not having a mother to sort of like model on would just be like, you know, sort of maybe not uh, spoiling, but be very, you know, sort of like 
lenient with a lot of things, and that's and that's why you know Maniba feels like you know maybe maybe we didn't hold on tightly enough to each other, and so they're all trying to like figure out this balance because they're you know they're like like I said they're they're kind of like reacting to the previous generation and and how they learned from that. The scene where uh, she, her mother comes to her and says, I, I, I said no to AvengerCon, but let's, let's find a way to do this. And it's the Hulk and Tiny Hulk was so sweet. And when Kamala's like, I was like, oh, for God's sake, child, meet them halfway in some capacity. Yes. I love that because it makes it that Kamala is also being unreasonable at that stage. Mm-hmm. It is not as clean cut as strict parents, rebellious daughter. Obviously, we're siding with the daughter on this one. And also, again, not to do too much in terms of direct comparison to the comic, but that was a lovely way of shaping uh, Kamala's idealising of what it's going to be like when she looks like Captain Marvel. Yeah. Which it has that sort of, you know, she's she's got this fantasy version of how being a superhero is going to go. She is offered a different version mm-hmm. and she rejects it out of hand because she's too fixated on her idealised way. And then when she gets there and gets her own way, there's like eight other Captain Marvels and it's like, oh God, I don't feel... I mean, hers does as, look a lot yeah, better than theirs. Hers but... is the best, clearly. <laughs> but um, she does, she's still got her anxieties of, I thought that my thing was kind of special, but mm. I now feel like a, a lot of other people, which itself isn't actually a bad feeling to have. Ultimately... Feeling some sort of, even if it's uncomfortable, connection to other people is way better than feeling weirdly isolated and not like anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the aspects of the comics which I, 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 I liked from the get-go was how they bring non-Muslim people into a Muslim world and sort of make it feel like, oh, so, so it's kind of like this, and just sort of lay it out in a way that, that doesn't speak for everyone by any means, but it knocks down assumptions and prejudices, and it allows you to connect and see similarities between whatever culture you grew up with and this it's it, it's taking away the dogmatic re representation of this culture as being one that is you know ridiculously strict and inhumanly repressive and i love how like if specifically sheikh abdullah is so lovely <laughs> i noted whenever uh, damage control came into the mosque it was an invasion. They didn't, it wasn't overly dramatized, but it, the way it's shot, they're coming in and everyone sort of crowds around in a circle, not in an oppressive way, but in a kind of, this is our, Sharon said this herself, so I wanted to credit her with this. This is our space. They're coming in. Would you like a cookie? We will help you, as opposed to, you know, any prejudicial ideas of what would happen if white people went into a mosque. Well, it's the sense yeah. that this, by, by forming this circle around them, they're making it very clear, this is our space, you're here because we're allowing you to mm. be, and you don't go any further until we let you. Yeah. But like you said, the cookies and everything, it, it gives it this sense of we're part of this community too, but that doesn't mean you get to invade our mm. space. 
And they lifted almost exactly out of the comics the girls messing around behind the screen in a kind of, would you please stop that way, which any kid who's ever been taken to church and has gotten bored will be able to relate to and go, oh, okay, so they are actually a lot more like me. They're taking selfies. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a really lovely way of connecting and contextualizing. And the, there is a healing property to all of this revelation, to all of this being able to sort of step into this world and feel invited as opposed to this is a weird strange series of rituals like the, the exact opposite of do you remember when trump went and pondered that orb this much more relatable i think my favorite scene was the i think it's the little eid the the festival they go to in like mm. episode three and uh where they and then like the breakdown of all the different little groups yes. who go to this oh, the illuminantes that was <laughs> the illuminantes. <laughs> they, they make a reference to something like the converts but they called them like me convert i didn't understand like that felt like a joke for people more involved in that community but i really like good more in jokes like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that may have come from g willow wilson who's a convert herself mm. yeah i really like that when the sheik is talking to kamala when she really needs to hear it it echoes other scenes where lost souls will come and talk to their their pastor or their priest you, you could see matt murdoch and his, his his priest that he has gone to in, in the daredevil series um playing out pretty similarly and it's not any kind of judgment and he doesn't really like lean on um harsh rules or laws but he takes what um, is is positive about what he believes in and what they, they they stand for, and applies that to her situation. He is exactly um, what she needs in that moment, and I think that is a really good, um, honest depiction of what that could be. It could be between anybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. I re- I really I really like that they gave him the uh, the good good isn't a thing you are; it's it's a thing you do. Yes, which has become like which is like her. It's it's evolved into basically being her uh, with great power comes great responsibility mm-hmm. line. Yeah. I also love that the, they got that line in from the uh, comic of uh, if you kill somebody, you kill every, all of mankind. You kill all of mankind. If you save somebody, you save the world. That's uh, uh, one of the lines at the very end, but it, it, it really illustrates that ultimately there are two different directions you can move in. Questioning yourself is very important, but as long as you know you're still trying to help you can continue that course with fervor. One of the things that I think the that her community does really well in terms of how it's like telling you about these characters is you get, you know, what we were talking about, the uh, that you could see this character having this sort of interaction in a different religious context. And so you're like, okay, so this is, you know, this is the character who's like their pastor or their priest. But, but then you also like, and so it's a, a very sort of understandable frame for someone who's not necessarily as like familiar with the the culture but then the because you've get you've got all this time you know like alex you were talking about you get all these additional little wrinkles and these different little like you get to see like sheikh abdullah in multiples in multiple sort of like settings and so you get to see him sort of being not like overbearing but like a little bit strict in terms of you know dealing with rowdy kids in church but then you also get to see like how supportive he is in different ways and even like how he has to deal with um, like essentially a very terrifying situation um, it, potentially when when the DODC comes into the mosque mm. and everyone like gets that like her you know the older brother her father like 
all these characters sort of like get to be introduced in this like e- even Zoe who's like oh okay the popular girl at school but then we get so much extra time with her that they really get to dig into you know what would they do in these interesting situations what are the most interesting choices that we could make you just said the i word school? twice i am now chasing you twice as fast round the garden oh, with a bit of i'm sorry <laughs> oh, what are what are the most dramatically compelling choices that we can make the most revealing about their character yeah जो कुछ भी सीखा गलतियों से ही तो सीखा मैंने खुद को संभाला गिर के ही तो उठना सीखा मैंने जब भी बिखरी तो बिखर के से मटना सीखा मैंने जब खाप टूटे तो उनको पूरा करना सीखा मैंने The soundtrack on this thing so good I'm putting together a playlist it's like 24 long already and I'm still only on episode 4 कभी तो मैं भी नाजुक सी कली थी कभी तो मैं भी बाबा की परी थी Okay, so here is a slightly thorny issue that uh, I think has become less thorny as we've seen it, uh, you know, implemented in the show. But this one got delayed by many months. When was it originally going to be out? Before Moon Knight, at the very least. Right, I think. Okay, uh, and I, I suspect. But one of the things they changed, and this is only really from watching the way the effects go, is that Ms. Marvel's powers, Kamala's embiggening, changed from a more comic-like, uh, like enlarging and stretching of her limbs, much like Mr. Fantastic, into the slightly more purple Green Lantern that she has now. I could be completely wrong and barking up the wrong tree, and it could just have been this was the intention from the get-go. Uh, or it could have been that the effects just needed longer to actually uh, implement. And let's—I think Sharon mentioned uh, before we started that Marvel are currently crunching the shit out of their effects teams, which is a situation that is going to lead to uh, a crash at some point. You—you uh, you can't force them to output this stuff at five times the rate of phases one through three and expect everything to just keep going swimmingly. That's shit practice, Marvel. Everyone will forgive you if you take a bit more time. You already have all the money. What did everyone think of Kamala's new powers? And uh, when it comes down to it, they've taken something away and put something instead in its place. Is the thing that they put in its place as rich and usable in different directions as what is now not there? So definitely the the gut reaction was not liking the change because it felt like a, a change for change's sake at mm-hmm. the beginning and and like uh, I'd say I don't think they delayed it to change her powers because I remember the first hint we had that her powers were were changed mm-hmm. was like uh, like leaks of like like merchandise packaging right. which showed like so this would that, have been from the get go then. Yeah, and that that came out before before the delay. So okay. my guess is the delay was probably just for like upping CGI or maybe reshoots or something. See, I was thinking when she was But, bouncing along on those little platforms, that so easily could have been her with really long stretchy legs just sort of like running along like the BFG. <laughs> <laughs> the arguments have like it's it was always just like, "Oh, well, stretchy powers look weird in CGI." I was like, "Yeah, well, that's because they're supposed to because mm. the human body's not supposed to do that. Yeah. So of course it's always going to inherently look weird and like I, I don't know like the Flash TV show one of the side heroes 
was a stretchy dude, and mm-hmm. that looked fine, and that was a CW TV show. Okay. So if you can't do that with Marvel Marvel money, it's like whatever. But I really the 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 Green Lantern powers really grew on me as the show went along. Okay. I think the the intention as well was to shift the origin of Kamala's powers from being something that was kind of dropped on her randomly mm. to something that connected directly back to this family history and her um, her ancestry and where she came from. Mm. And I think what what Alex says about is is what they've switched it out for, does it work as well as the original one? I would say yes. I think they use it in a different way. And I think Alex you said about the in the comics Kamala being this sort of very gangly teenager and her bendy powers fitting in with that whole, my body's not doing what I intend it to do and and I have to kind of gain some control over it. That was great. That worked really well for that story. I think they've done something different with this because this is more about... um, the, the, The Kamala in the show, to me, is more about finding the place for her to fit within her family and her community than it is about her working out who she is. Uh, Iman Villani's version of Kamala seems pretty sure about who she is. She's fairly confident in herself as a person, but she's not quite sure how she fits into this MC universe that she is so in awe of and, and a fan of. She doesn't know what her place is in that. And that, to me, is what the TV show is about. And having powers that are literally drawing on a, another dimension, drawing energy from the Noor dimension, which Noor literally means light, apparently, in, I believe is, is what they call it, and her powers being something that are very visual, very beautiful, but also very difficult for her to control. That, to me, seems to allegorically put forward this idea of, I have this light, I want to bring it to the people I care about, I don't know how to do that. It it fits well for the story that the TV show is trying to tell, which is a slightly different story than the one the comics are trying to tell. So for me... It still works brilliantly, even though it is very different in terms of the the visuals and the uh, implementation of it. One thing specifically that the the powers and the way that they're used, the the show gets across very triumphantly is, like you're saying, it's about how she navigates this world. She's sure of herself, but it's it's about how does she move through it, and it's very important. I think that Kamala is introduced in that first episode, being really crap at driving. So she has to find a different like there there are just some things that are difficult for her to do because of how she processes, you know, her environment. And so the show is very much about her navigating her world. And so by the time we get to the end, like she can literally just like run over these these crowded streets and she's bounding around on these like she's doing Prince of Persia shit and it's beautiful and it's it's very evocative of like a superhero moving through their environment, but it's not necessarily exactly like we've seen other superheroes navigate their environment. So again, it, it feels like it feels special to her and how she fits into this universe. Yeah, the 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 I don't know. You call them like skipping rocks or skipping stones. Her her form of transportation is definitely like immediately 
I, pretty iconic, like right up there for me with web slinging. Though uh, I will admit, it seems a little inefficient because she's still just running. So I hope she like gets a lot of running. I like, say that. <laughs> but I, I immediately, I'm also glad you brought up web slinging because I was thinking, hang on. But surely Peter Parker would be fucking knackered after one block of swinging in Manhattan. <laughs> the amount of strength it requires to to swing yourself on a vine all the way there. Ultimately, we accept that Peter Parker's power set balances out for his right. swinging, even though, like in the original comic, all the way up to uh, Organic Web Shooters in 2002, Peter invented the web slinging for himself. That ultimately, as a character, his, his his the way he moves around is balanced. The same way as uh, imagine a Superman who could fly but didn't have that invulnerability. So whenever he landed, he shattered his shin bones. <laughs> There's a certain amount of leeway you kind of have to give every character so that they can get to where they need to go without going. Well, technically, if we're going to really apply physics here, she should be naked. <laughs> And she should be, but I think she kind of maybe like, like we could Thermian argument it in a kind of a well, she must have reserves of strength, but ultimately her powers are fairly ill-defined even in the comics, and they're just starting out here with this Green Lantern stuff. And you're you're right, that whole being like seeing her bounce and jump across these little platformy things that is singular enough to make it worth the slight breach of physics. Also, you know. Teenagers sometimes can run quite well, and she she tries to sort of build up her strength. That we we see montage. Well, it's not quite a montage, but we do see scenes of her trying to get better at this. That's a fine point. Just because the Flash can run that fast doesn't mean that his body shouldn't go what no and die immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but there has to be a certain amount of compensation within the actual frame of the person Absolutely. moving. Absolutely, my muscles are over here. My skeleton yeah. got left behind. Aquaman's going to get the bends. entirely possible speaking of the environmental element that I think does give her a a kind of a par with Spider-Man as well the reason why Spidey swings around on the webs is because he lives in New York there's fuck off skyscrapers everywhere or New Jersey this is a way for him to get to uh, no he he lives in Queens initially is it Queens sorry yeah no you're absolutely right yeah Yeah. so you got Stephen uh, Brooklyn Brooklyn. and oh man okay sorry I just uh, (laughs) see Willow was uh, that's Willow not G Willow Wilson was was um, I want to say bitching about the fact that so many superhero (laughs) stories are are set in New York and I went oh really and then I started walking us through the MCU from one to the other and eventually it was like yeah there there, there are a lot of New York stories but it's like getting upset that so much Batman is set in Gotham yeah yeah but also many James Bond films move through London but I Um, like the fact that the five boroughs are being represented we need someone from fucking Staten Island now. Staten Island. But, but the, <laughs> I am the dump. The whole swinging <laughs> thing, it fits in with uh, Peter's area of effect. The fact that he is surrounded by all of these very tall buildings. He needs a way to get around quickly that gives him some perspective so that he can see what's going on. <laughs> so it does make sense that it... it or it, sorry, it does make sense. It does feel as though they're building on that with the idea that this is Kamala's neighbourhood. She knows it well. She has formulated a way to move around it that fits with what she already knows about the area. Hmm. Also, you could actually, I can see in my head, Spidey swinging along with Kamala running along beside him. Yeah, and that'd be so cool. 
Someone else flying. I mean, yeah, it just... Or her shooting out little platforms for him to attach his webs to so that he can cover gaps that there are no buildings for. If you're 43, you'll go, oh, maybe have Iceman. That sounds like an amazing friend to me. (laughs) (laughs) Ka-ching! It's it's really easy to picture a, a Kate Bishop running along behind Kamala as she makes the, the platforms. Yes. Please oh, stop. Yeah. You're going so fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what Kate Bishop? You need to work on your stamina more. <laughs> man, that, that young Avengers movie has got some serious freaking potential. Oh man. Yeah, I mean, they haven't even announced it yet, but like the, the, the cast that is going to get Avengers numbers, no problem. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. I just want to say about uh, Kamala's framework for her powers. I think that Marvel has always been very aware of the setup. When you look at her comic origin, Mm. she's made into an inhuman because Mm. that is where the comics are going in that direction. Yeah, at the time, Marvel were like, we're not going to promote Fox's movies and we're going to kind of shunt the X-Men to the background. Everyone's going to be all about the inhumans. That didn't work. Yeah, but the one thing that did work was the introduction of Miss Marvel because mm. at the heart of it, you have a really relatable, important, um, representative story to tell. And so, when you're adapting Miss Marvel, you know how quickly the world changes. In five years, Disney is even more of a monopoly than it already was. Yeah. They have access to the mutants. You're introducing mutants into the MCU at some point. What are you going to do with Miss Marvel? Now they have the opportunity to set up those pieces and they can very, I think very smartly um, position her to have the you know mutant abilities right because you, you, you look away from that inhuman connection because inhumans didn't work out in the comics inhumans probably didn't really work out in the TV shows waste um, of lockjaw if you ask me yeah and, and so here we are you know I, I think that um I, th- I think that it was a very smart move to uh, reposition that 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 wrinkle. I will say it's a little bit of a shame that she has lost that slightly gross power of stretching because there aren't many female characters who have a power that's not sexy at all and is in fact kind of uh, repellent in certain ways. Like weirdness is is cool and can abide in a way that you're like, look, we've made them sexy. This is Megan Fox. Uh, No offence to poor Megan Fox, who got shat on by Hollywood repeatedly and is worth way more than the uh, poultry rolls they gave her. But sex appeal is fortunately not something they were trying with, uh, with, with Kamala. I love the fact that she's kind of proportionally built like a teenager, as opposed to black widowing her, if that makes sense. <laughs> Why do you always do that thing? Do what? The thing you do when you're fighting. Like the... This, this thing that you do when you whip your hair when you're fighting with the arm and the hair and you do like a fighting pose. It's a fighting pose. You're a total poser. I'm not a poser. <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, they're great poses, but it does look like you think everyone's looking at you like all the time. I, well, she I, still I will... gets to be thirsty. I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's got all yes. these... I was She's so romantic. Oh, She's very romantic, yeah. and I would hope that with the uh, X-Men, there are lots of teenagers and everyone's horny all the time. Mm-hmm. Not for me, for Marvel and their weird sexless world where nobody bones. 
definitely have at least one asexual mutant, but not necessarily aromantic. By my count, we've had 217 aromantic characters so far. So that corner of the horniness spectrum is well and truly accounted for. Like I was talking, like I'm probably in the the weird minority where I would have liked like this to be like a full season, like 22 episode show, because mm. I just love yeah. these characters so much. Mm-hmm. And like one of the things that really feels like that is she's got like freaking three different love interests mm. in this show, because <laughs> with Bruno, Comron, uh, and then there's a, there's a little bit with Red Dagger. Kareem mm. goes to Kareem. Yes, I think it's great that all of her options are still on the table. Nobody went bad. Nobody died. Yep. <laughs> she's, she, she has uh, some, some choices to think about next, for next, uh, next time. Yeah. It, was, it, it was pretty funny that, that Kamran gets based. Like, it was the second scene, but he gets introduced with the freaking the, a pool shirtless, the, the classic MCU shirtless scene. Like, Jesus. <laughs> Absolutely. And the interpretation of such from a, a teenage girl. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree that this this cast and this the the density of the world and the the characters would have easily supported like at least a thirteen episode thing. I I also do appreciate like how focused and tight they were. Like, okay, we're gonna do the most impactful story in this scenario, this scenario, and this scenario, and now we're moving through this so that we're not like spending a whole season on hiding secret identities from your loved ones. Mm-hmm. But it, it does speak to the the quality that's like, yeah, no, I would have spent another 20 episodes with these dudes. Yeah. Uh, there's also a slightly closer link with Captain Marvel. I don't know whether the, the blue hand they got the uh, bangle off in the archaeological dig was a Cree because they happened to be blue or was an Atlantean because they also confusingly happened to be blue um, <laughs> or whether Atlanteans are Cree. Holy shit. Uh, we'll see. But it feels like the sort of energy signature, while it's a different color, feels closer linked to to uh, Carol and her powers uh, with, rather than comic Kamala, who's like, yeah, there was these Terrigen mists and they awoke uh, and they awoke basically Mr. Fantastic's abilities in me, and so I'm kind of a little version of uh, Captain Marvel over there. And it's like, I'm not seeing the join quite as as easily, even though those powers are very (laughs) distinctive and she makes them her own rather than just being stretcher all the time. It was funny, like, speaking of the connection, it was funny seeing them have to kind of, like, tie themselves into knots to get to the Miss Marvel name. Yeah. Because they, did, they didn't have the legacy to work with, so they had to, like, they had to come up with the light, why she would have the lightning bolt design it, why she would call herself Miss Marvel at all. <laughs> but I do love how they worked all of that into... Yeah, it, I love Becoming it. a hero for her is not about becoming somebody different it's about becoming more herself and manifesting who she really is externally she's given parts of her costume and parts of her like like who she is by other people and she decides what to embrace and what to incorporate there and it turns out she becomes a hero for the people. You know, by, by the end of the season, we have all of these people that stand with her and they 
you know, it takes a it takes a village. It, literally, mm. they they all work together to create that hero for themselves and for her, for her. It was wonderful. Absolutely, and that yeah. that wonderful moment as well. Where well, it's a series of moments really, but the the whole um, Willow was the one who kind of highlighted it as a coming out, as a mm. her sort of working out who she is, being really uncertain about how she can reveal that desperately wanting to knowing she can't just put it away and say all right I won't be that anymore but not knowing how she can bring that forward and it be okay with her parents and her her family being of the mindset of we we love you and we want you to be able to be who you are but we're also really worried that this puts you in a situation where you are unsafe and them finding a way that balances that and allows them to be proud of her for not only for being who she is but for wanting to be who she is for the benefit of everybody around her yeah okay now we can talk about i think two things about this which are basically one thing uh, that is slightly weaker, and it occurred to me while I was rewatching it the second time because I, I'd realised rewatch the first episode is so great, and the last episode is so great, and then there's some stuff in the middle where I'm like, is this? And then I realised that like by the time I saw it the second time, I still couldn't quite get my head around who the clandestine were, what they were trying to do, why they were trying to do it. Why uh, Najma is such a dick, and um, and then there's this other secret shady cabal, the Red Daggers, and both of them have a sexy boy, and it's like there's one too many secret cabals here. Plus, we're also dealing with damage control. I, I feel like reduce the cabals by one and just have it that damage control our antagonists, making everything worse, but make it the clandestine are the villains. Because, Name, we recently did a uh, uh, Patreon-only show about the villains of the MCU, and, and they've gotten better over the years, but Marvel still have a villain problem, and now they have another villain problem, which is they're now revisiting previous villains' motivations and doing, not even bothering to subvert them much, and just going like hand wave. This person wants to get this done. I, like, so Najma wants to go back through the door to get to her dimension, even though that will swallow the earth. That is Wenwu, who wants to open up the door to get his uh, wife back, even though there'll be big dragons coming out of it. That is Thanos going, I'm going to do the snap, it's definitely going to work, and you'll all thank me for it. It's fucking Malekith and his bring back the dark. I want to turn off all the lights, it's better that way. Mm. And it, it makes Najma a weak villain... And it reminded me of the episode of South Park where the government and the military and the FBI keep trying to explain secret, covert science bullshit to the kids, and the kids really only care about their Akama game sphere. He is the RG400 smart tower, designed with a computer chip inside the Terracloth. We don't care. You see, here at Dynacorp, our goal was to make the perfect tower, a tower that would sense how wet or dry the user's skin was and fluff itself accordingly. Dude, we don't care. But then one day, Tauri got high and just sort of wandered off. We don't care. And the military got a hold of him. They wanted to turn Tauri into a weapon of mass destruction. Don't care, don't care, don't care. Tauri got high and just sort of wandered off. 
again. God damn it! Can we please just get back to playing our video game, please? Now let me tell you the real story. Oh God, don't care, don't care. In order to take over the world. We're never gonna play our kind of games here again, are we? I'll tell you something. You don't want to know, and I don't know. And we don't care. You and upload this encryption disk into their system, bringing them down once and for all. But we don't care. That's how I felt about this other dimension that we never got to see and these people that are from there, but they're so boring compared with Kamala's life. I just it, it, It's not important to us as viewers. And the Malekith comparison is really fair because... Here you have a people who lived one way and then had to violently change to another way. But we never see that in Thor The Dark World. How could we possibly relate to it? We love Aisha because she's nice and human and caring. Everyone else is just like trying to hit a kid. Uh, they they absolutely the had a really good way of making her a better and more dynamic antagonist. Right. Here was my idea. Najma is uh, Kamala's mother's sister, right? Uh, no? No, cousin? she's think... Aisha's sister. Okay, Najma oh, is Kamala's mother's aunt. No? No, great aunt. Fucking hell. Najma, <laughs> age be buggered, is Kamala's mother's great aunt. I have aged phenomenally. However, they're both mothers, so you have Najma capture or effectively be stuck in a room with Ami. And they effectively talk about being mothers. And one of them is absolutely determined to do this thing. And she's like, I'm doing it for my son. And it becomes increasingly apparent that she's doing it for her. And it's talking to Kamala's mother that actually starts her thinking, maybe I am just doing this for me. And also, on the other hand, Kamala's mother starts thinking, I'm cracking down on my daughter over and over again. Maybe I am kind of doing more of that for me than I am for her. And that way you get two fantastic characters, both kind of changing on either side of each other. And ultimately, while uh, Kamala is absolutely super key to the plot, you get a much better villain. And you could even have the same scenario of, I'm going to open the door. Oh no, my friend turned into a Mortal Kombat fatality skeleton. This is bad. You know what? I am actually going to close this thing, even though it'll kill me. And my son cries and goes, no, please don't. And then we actually get a proper dramatic scene out of that with a good villain redemption, as opposed to, what are you trying to do? Oh, now you're a skeleton. That's just my, that's just how I felt after seeing it twice. But uh, what did you folks think? Sharon first, actually, because you had your hand I, up. Okay, right. All, all I will say, <laughs> I will abbreviate all the stuff that I was talking to you about this afternoon to say that I will go you one louder on the reduce the number of cabals. I don't think you need the rest of the clandestines. I think if they had made this mm, about mm. the conflict between Najma and Aisha and their opposing ideologies in terms of we've been drawn here from our dimension... Yeah. And Aisha wants to embrace the fact that they are now on Earth. She finds, you know, she has a human husband and a human family. Who's very supportive and Absolutely. lovely. Absolutely. All of that whole stuff about Aisha settling in and, and becoming who she then becomes. I loved all that. It, Keep all it's that. It's an immigrant story. Absolutely. Uh, and have Najma being somebody who resists the fact that she is now on Earth, doesn't want to be here, wants to find these two bangles so that they can create the portal so that they can get 
get back home, refuses to engage with living on Earth until relatively recently, because obviously 17 years ago she decided to have Cameron, so something's made her feel like it's changed a bit. But if you make it about that conflict between their two perspectives on on this being somewhere that is not really their home, then you can really play on this analogy between that and the petition element of the story, which is really well outlined. I really enjoyed that whole side of things and and the, the emphasis on all of us being in this this country, this this environment that we didn't choose to be in is so integrally a part of Kamala's story. And I, I just feel like they could have played that up a lot more and not had just random people to hit things, which felt like what the clandestines were there for. That's one yeah. of the few areas where I think that, like, like I agree that they they set up some really obvious dramatic parallels because, you know, you have the the specific like conflict between. Um, Aisha and Najma being like related to you settling down and and picking this as a home and picking this family versus that family. And that is something that very clearly like Najma made a choice reflecting that, that she decided to in in some ways follow in Aisha's steps. And like that's something that really felt like they should have explored, particularly in the the episode where they're doing the timey-wimey partition stuff, because that's like that's kind of like this keystone of the entire series. Mm. And not having that is one of the few areas where I think like Ms. Marvel, like, yeah, they needed another episode, if not like a yeah. full thirteen episode series, they need like another hour or so to really yeah. build that. Yeah. It feels like a prevailing theme from In the Heights by Lynn Manuel Miranda, where the children of immigrants are in many ways coerced into inheriting their parents' dreams, which inescapably affects their lives, whether they pick them up and run with them or rail against them. That's what Cameron's dealing with. That's what mother and grandmother are dealing with. Use it. Yeah, they, they really needed more time to do something with the clandestine. Like, Miss Marvel has, like, as a character, has a villain problem. She does not have any distinctive villains. I don't think any villain, even in the comics, has shown up for more than one arc. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so they basically made something whole cloth for this. And they just, Najma is just not a good villain because we just don't understand how her mind is working. Like, in, in the, the wedding episode, like, like up to that point, Kamala is entirely on board with helping them. And then when she, when she you know she talks to Bruno, I was like, okay, maybe we need to be cautious and take some time with this. Suddenly, Najma just turns on a dime mm-hmm. and yeah. oh and just gosh. like, oh, I'm gonna go to your, I'm gonna go attack you. I'm gonna attack you in an incredibly public place. It's yeah. Like, why? I was like, you are such a dick. This is such a lovely wedding. Yeah. What are you doing? And she ruined some other lady's wedding as well. She's crying out yep. there. Yeah, I, I love the bit where she was like, You're, you look so pretty. So do you. That was just any women supporting each other. That's wonderful. But just, ugh. yeah, Najma, I, I, I can't get my head around this villain's motivations. And I saw it twice now. So I think she's going to be low down on the, uh, on the stakes. Yep. Yeah. The thing about it is it's, from a storytelling perspective not just a character perspective they build this up and up and up and the entire show is pointing towards we got to open the portal and then the portal opens in the penultimate episode it's not even in the last episode and then we just move on like oh never mind now we're doing something else and all of her um anger and all of her conflict 
can be solved with a really good conversation over tea. Yeah. And you could yeah. argue that, sure, there's a lot of... And she's been here for a long time, by the way. Yeah. It's a lot of tea she could have drunk. There's a lot of um, villains and other stories that, oh, you know, that could also have been solved with a quick Plus, there were a bunch of families she could have gone and hung out with had she not stabbed yeah. her own sister. Yeah, I just, yeah, I don't get it. I, it really yeah. bothered me. For immortal, she's very impatient. Mm-hmm. And one one thing, one big gapping thing I think we miss it is we never find out why the clandestine were banished or whatever to yep. begin with. Like, were they wrongly? Like, it, it, it could change everything if it turned out it was, like, for, like, prejudicial reasons or yeah. something. But we just we just never find out. We never find out. It's all and a bunch of really hoo-ha hurts and bunkum. <laughs> like, like now, even when, for- she, when Kamala talks to Bruno, Bruno never says it's impossible. Mm. He just says he needs time to figure it out. Yeah. Okay, and the very, other one. Very much that escalated quickly. But but yeah. it, at least it does give us that really cool focus on, like, okay, yeah, we, we dealt with the portal shit. But what we really have to address is how cops fucking suck. I'm Packy Chan, I'm Packy Robinson, I'm Pat Nicholson. Four brown on the rocks, I'm Pat Daniels. Uh, my yacht is Packy on Nassis. I'm Prince Nassim when he had it. But I'm baffled, unraveling, cause I still love hate. What I see in the mirror whenever I see my face. I think, what if I was fairer skin, had less of the melanin? Would I get more work or would I not be with anything? Cause right now, I'm the king of my pigeonhole. Big fish in a trickle of piss on the road. I went to hit the back of the net. But the fishermen don't want me, they let me go, fish off the phone It gets into your head like going from Rizvan to Riz Ahmed Did I edit myself or did I get him to stretch with a Karachi kid on the red carpet? This is Riz Ahmed, by the way, singing from the Sweatshop Boys Doing way more for Marvel here than he did in Venom as the bad guy they made forgettable And the other one is, of course, Damage Control, uh, who now seem perfectly positioned to go hunting mutants. I'm fairly certain that's what's going to happen. I hadn't even noticed until the second time around, oh shit, those drones? Those are the Stark drones. Those are the ones from Far From Home, the ones that got requisitioned back off Peter. Those are going to be like early Sentinels. I had not keyed this up, and... and, uh, them invading the school to like ridiculously disproportional uh, shows of force to arrest one brown kid makes ice, sorry, damage control look like fascist (laughs) fucking attack dogs. And I think the only thing that bugged me about this is uh, when Cleary, who was the guy who was in Spider-Man No Way Home doing all of the grilling of the kids, uh, started shouting at Diva. He, he was like, you know, you went in and you attacked kids and you used our name. This is really bad PR. And it's like, what do you think you were going to look like during this? Where's the good in what you're doing? Where's the, this looks great, in what ICE, sorry, uh, in, in in what the uh, damage control are doing, dragging people out of their homes and sending them away uh, in a sort of a, a way to say, look, this is America, and we're in charge, and we need to remind you that we're in charge. Don't get any funny ideas. You are your actions. You are what you do, not your intentions. The thing that bugged me was that they pinned it on Diva as that she was overzealous, like Kent Mansley in The Iron Giant. Like, she wanted promotion or recognition or something, which is just like a woman. Having been denied the progress of her male counterparts, she now kicks downwards. So, she wasn't my favourite character. 
It almost seems that from the way Cleary is talking, this is not what we're about. It's everything you're about, you I think part of the problem is, again, we don't really get, like, we don't know what damage controls mandate anymore. Like, Kamala just shows up and they're like, oh, better go get her. I'm like, why is it illegal to have superpowers? She didn't do anything. Yeah. yeah. And it ties up with a version of the MCU where Civil War uh, resulted in a different version of the Sokovia Accords, but we're not there yet. Right. And. And like you said, like it kind of wants to paint Deaver as being overzealous, but you never get enough time for with her to actually come have that come across. Yeah. Up to that point, it just seems like she's following orders exactly as she was told. This is so, why too many villains, too many cabals. Keep it focused. You've only got six episodes. They're only yeah. like some of them are less than forty minutes long with credits. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, oh, also fun uh, fun fact. I know I realized not only do they have the the ED drones, they appear to have the the sonic weapons from all the way back in Incredible, the Incredible Hulk? Hulk. Yep, wow. yeah. I was noticing that too. It's uh, it's it's nice but insidious at the same time. Like it's like oh uh-huh. god, I've seen how these have been misused already. They're going to carry this forwards. Yeah, and again, as yeah. Willow pointed out, there is also the fact that they may be less lethal weapons, but they made them look like guns. Yeah. They still want to oh, be right. able to stand there in their full military gear and terrify the shit out of communities, including children. It's a private security firm masquerading as cops, masquerading as soldiers. And then then they just switch to regular guns at the end anyway. Yeah, because like for the scene when they're chasing them around the school, they had to keep it fun. They can't be firing off bullets in a school and have everyone go, oh, this is fun. Yeah, the, 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 I feel like they were really close to being able to get this done right in a way that makes ice, sorry, damage control, look like the monsters <laughs> that they actually are. And unapologetically, yeah, these guys are the bad guys. So when the mutants get hunted by them, just so you know, we're on the side of the mutants. Right. Also, when it comes down to it, do you remember that bit where all the cops step up and go... No, you won't get past us. And then Ice just sort of push through and they go, yes, you will. And it's like, let's all thank the cops for showing up, shall we? And it's like, why even bother having them make that pathetic gesture only to fold? Like, just have them standing to one side, letting Ice do what they want to do. You know, kind of how they turn up at at peaceful demonstrations that then get descended on by people who actually want to hurt peaceful demonstrators and the cops do fucking nothing. Brand new day, bitch. Packs too famous. Cut too shameless. I spit the duck now. Slap two pagans saying that's too Asian. Did they get lucky? I'm straight out of luck now. Upness, they up now. Subness, they stuck now. Blah, blah, they hate me. My la la don't stay down. We built this bitch so it's time to get paid now. But fuck getting paid if it mean I don't stay brown. We don't need your likes. I'm whipping myself. Drop my whip on the road to self-love. We don't need to hide them with all the code switching on my shit. Let them smell us. Yeah, we on the podium winners and in the cinemas flow like a top of readiness. Nobody similar, throw my fist up, only one finger to get to you. This is the home is a figure of speech. I build a spit from a heart, I bring some of bars, my tiger's the similar top bitch, I'm literally to get it off. Sorry. Get a little cheesing my onions right now. I would now. say wrong meeting, but it's not. I no, it's the right meeting. No. Ultimately, it's it's the, the usual kind of Disney going, we are trying to say something, but not really. Alex, it sounds like you're a little heated. I am. It's been an hour. We are now at the end here, so it's going to be in any other business situation. Well, we didn't shout out Bruno, and I love Bruno. Love so. this guy. Bruno's a supportive great. dude. 
Funny story, all of us need someone we know is always in our corner. And the fact that Kamala picked Doogie Howser MD makes her discerning, but also lucky. I would really love to see Bruno show up in other things. I don't think that he should just be kept as Kamala's, I don't, you know, he, he's in a box right now with Kamala. And unless he makes a stand for himself or Kamala kind of has a, a wake up call in, in respect to uh, what he is putting into the relationship and what he wants from it. Um, there's a lot of, I, I'm glad that he took a stand for himself to go and study uh, out of state. And mm-hmm. in the comics, he goes to Wakanda for a little while. So I think that would be cool. <laughs> Ooh, do you know what, though? What they could do is if he goes to Caltech, uh, they could have like a, a, a university level think tank and he could end up working with... MJ and Ned. Oh, that would be nice. On, on something that is not directly related to uh, Kamala at all, or on something that then feeds into support for the Young Avengers. Nice. And they're on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, oh yeah, that... I just I just couldn't get over that he was somehow more Peter Parker than actual Peter Parker. Right? Was. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 uncanny. It's ridiculous. But he, he's a great character, and I love that. I love that his uh, Kamala's family basically loves him. Yeah, yeah that was adorable. <laughs> I love the yeah. She she gives him food to take uh, back to his, his parents in seconds, and uh, and he's baffled by how she's able to get this together. But it's like it's mom powers. Mm. I also really love just just again to 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 highlight the the use of drama. Just the meeting outside the airport between grandma and mother and daughter, and just everything about it seemed like they just switched the cameras on and went right. So just do literally what you'd do if you went to meet your your mother at the airport, and just every line and every little gesture feels very authentic. Yeah, it, it's it's the. The layers in the comments as well. The, oh, sweetheart, your skin is so dry. Are you on another one of your crazy, crazy diets? diets? The unsaid <laughs> bit like, is because mm. you really need to be on another one of those diets. Jesus. <laughs> well, and even just the way they load certain lines, like the, the way Nani says, you know, welcome home. And Kamala's mom is like, that's not my home, but okay. <laughs> I'm being nice. Yeah. Uh, when uh, we we reread the first seven issues of uh, Ms. Marvel just as a prep for the show, so we could more clearly see how it had developed from page to screen, and uh, I feel like the the strength of both comic and uh, TV show is the small scale. the The big scale mm-hmm. stuff is definitely there, but it almost seems to distract from the small scale stuff like when they're they're racing through the streets and the one cabal is chasing another and i'm just like can we go back to the little old lady and and her her mother and just they're talking about stuff and like this is really good and interesting all of the interdimensional stuff eh, it's it's fine but like it's it's less focused and this is something that marvel tend to do with their uh third acts where they turn into a massive fireworks show but the really juicy stuff comes just before that and i know there are some of you at home listening going alex there are whole movies that have nothing but family drama and yeah true but no one's tuning in for our show on the winter guest or salmon fishing in the yemen 
or Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. You may have noticed by now, folks, that uh, over the past 10 years, Sharon and I's sweet spot lies in sci-fi that really manages to get the great drama in there as well. It's a balancing act, but we chose the best time in cinema history to start focusing on that. And I will say again, Everything Everywhere All At Once, which does manage to hit that balance perfectly, landing on one toe and sustaining, is the best film of the decade. Not the last decade, the next decade. And I am waiting for anything that's just as good, if not better. The other thing that this this gets across is something that I I love seeing in the the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies the mm. way that you've got like the the community being really integrated into you mess with like, one how, of us you mess with all of us exactly <laughs> but, but, but but because this is so much about you know Kamala's place in the community they really get to even you know make that point even more and so what it does is it develops this like this densely packed small scale. So it's, you know, the stuff that you're really invested in is, you know, those people outside the school that are from, you know, her mosque and her, yeah. her family and like her catching that car is like way bigger than, you know, closing a portal or, you know, blowing up a spaceship for Kamala. You know, that's, yeah. that is her moment and it lands really, really well. Mm. I also, yeah. my, my personal favorite non-central character is Nakia and the way she is Positioned the second Nakia in the MCU, by she, the way. Yeah. <laughs> There's three Steves, two Peters, and then two Nakias. Um, but her her positioning as a, a girl who wants to achieve things for her community, and her being given the facility to do that in a different way than Kamala is. It's like, and and the fact that they have this lovely close relationship whereby they inspire each other to do different things but they are ultimately both working towards the same end which is the uplifting of their community another thing that i wish we, if we could have had more episodes i would have liked to see more of zoe is because mm. it feel like like there's a hinted like zoe was like kamala's friend like she used to be like the like the fourth wheel i guess in this little trio mm -hmm. and that but she drifted away from them and it just doesn't really go into that and then like she randomly shows up at the end and reveals she had always known kamala it just feels like they could have built her up more yeah and it, it would have been fun to have her there as well and of course there's the kind of sidelining of what is technically uh, a gay character because zoe's gay in the comics oh nice it's, it's hinted at a little because she's supposed to have a crush on Nakia who doesn't reciprocate in the comics. But uh -huh. like it, it's hinted a little when she's like, oh, well, people have to come out in their own time in the in the show. So Disney, as usual, sidelining a gay character. OK, cool. Just long, yeah. long, long on the same page. And just sweep you under the there, you, there go. you go. Um, it's also it's important to mention the partition. This thing divided India and Pakistan displaced 20 million people. It was one of the largest and most violent refugee crises in history, with reports on the loss of life varying between several hundred thousand and two million. And of course, that much blood seeps into the soil, leaving a rift between India and Pakistan today. It's, it's a very serious scenario to use as a backdrop, and it felt like there were more parallels that could be made, but again, it's Disney, so they're like, we're, we're not going to really get into it too much. And I equated it to, what if uh, Mark Spector in Moon Knight had gone back in time and been 
present at the formation of the nation of Israel. And I'm like, that, that's a very strong flavor to put in there. You're going to have to be like really doing this for a, a good reason. And I think they just about justified it in terms of that being a story of mass immigration, mass forced immigration. And uh, the, I, I think just having the grandmother's house decorated with all of this art and all of these photographs and all of these memories and stuff that she took with her and having to to recreate her memories because she had none of them. It, it felt like they just about managed to balance the severity of that real-life situation. I, th- I agree, and I think the reason they do, the reason that they manage it, is that it's so integral to everybody's history. All of the characters are so affected by this event. It's not just here you go, we did you a map painting of the petition to stick behind this story that doesn't have anything to do with it. It's it's the line by which Kamala is where she is. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's fundamental to that chain of mother-to-daughter mm. influence that is so well represented and again as i said it's it's the analogy with the the being pulled through from mm. the nor dimension so it even works with the fantastical elements yeah and as as, as amir says uh, every family has a partition story yeah mm. and if, if nothing else the inclusion of it and the doing it just about right is a way of putting it into the heads of people who had never heard of the partition, myself mm-hmm. included. I'd heard something sp- like things about the, the the division, but not. I was never able to really focus on it. And, and at least having that there sheds a little more light on on specifically the difficulties presented to people shunted out of their homeland. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> now the. The problems with the villains and the clandestine and all of the, uh, the, the the slight weaknesses of this, to me, don't tarnish it enough to drop it from the five stars I'd rate this. This is top tier Marvel. Yeah. And I think that says a lot, that you can have a Malaketh villain and still come out on top. Mm-hmm. Definitely. School of Movies is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. I guess on the, the final note, I'm I'm really interested in how how I was not expecting this this show to like have so many like ways of like going forward, like sprouting ideas. Because not only is there the ending where she seems to switch place with Carol, mm-hmm. which is I'm sure setting up the Marvels, and that but there's the you know, she's the first confirmed mutant in the mm-hmm. in the. <laughs> 
I know. I I, I, I only caught that the second time. But I expect that jingle to play whenever someone turns up and goes, "My name, Storm." Or Monroe. I'm actually going to say my actual name out loud in a movie. And then the the most surprising one is there's like two connections apparently to Shang Chi. Oh yeah, because. Because one you see, you briefly see in the temple where they find the the bangle mm. is the the ten rings symbol. But the other thing is just when you think about it, both the the bangle and the ten rings are implied to come from space now, from somewhere unknown. Yeah, some parts unknown. Oh, and three so connections because the villain has exactly the same motivations. <laughs> <laughs> Can we explain so this? Just... Is it as sad as I feel like my wife's on the other side? No. <laughs> what was it like back in there? Oh, it was great, probably. <laughs> we won't show it to you, ever. You know, they're going to do the Marvels and Young Avengers, but I'm also looking forward to, like, Shang-Chi, Miss Marvel team up. Mm. I'll be down for that. Yeah. This did, uh, uh, one of the uh, faults of Shang-Chi, uh, I found this from Accented Cinema, which is an excellent YouTube channel, was they didn't really tell the story of being an Asian-American for Sean. He, it didn't really feel like he was trapped between two worlds in the way that that is a lot of people's experience, uh, feeling mm. like you're neither one nor the other. Like it, there wasn't that. I mean, Crazy Rich Asians did that better by uh, by mm-hmm. some way, and it feels like this had the time to tell a little bit more of that story. It still probably could have gone on for a bit longer or had a bit less running around in the streets and like a big dude with a hammer trying to hit Kamala in the kitchen for reasons. (laughs) (laughs) It still feels like it's a step forward and... Uh, in terms of Disney uh, telling more stories than just the white guy has to st- uh, stop the bad guy from making the blue glowy thing, it's it, it's it's a it's kind of a triumph. Mm. And how just how it came about the fact that this the the origin point of this is one of the writers I think who was working on the Loki series going to Kevin Feige and saying I am a Pakistani American. I love Ms. Marvel. Please, can I work on that? Nice. And Kevin, even though he's fine with it being called 616, said yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that she, uh, our um, Iman Vellani herself, uh, texted him and going, This is wrong. And he was like, Shut she up. She knows Marvel better than he does. So, yeah, it's a good hand. She's my hero. Yeah. She's my hero, man. <laughs> Might be an idea to give her his job when he retires. <laughs> okay. So before we go, can our guests tell the folks at home where they can find the stuff that you are most proud of online? We will start with Brendan. Well, uh, you can find me contributing to uh, Synapse, that's C-I-N-A-P-S-E.co, but I am also going to be uh, guesting on the Matinee Heroes podcast uh, on uh, Taken uh, here in the next few weeks. Um, so, uh, you can find me on those places, or if you want to make mistakes, you can follow me on Twitter at BLC Agnew. <laughs> and Chris? Uh, so the only thing I really do is, uh, what stays is be on this podcast. I'm, uh, you're actually all probably sick at me. I'm on this a lot lately. Uh, <laughs> but if, if you want to do the proudest thing, actually, uh, it's when at that time I paid money 
to make them watch We're Back, a dinosaur story. <laughs> Go listen to that one, because I love that one. <laughs> that one. Get your Thanksgiving hats on, folks, and go check that one out. And watch out for crows. Absolutely. They will peck you until there's nothing left. Uh, and finally, Name. I am really excited about my Twitch right now. Um, it's um, been having a lot of fun just playing Pokemon and doing other things. That's called uh, Nami the Nerd uh, at, on Twitch. And eventually I'm going to get my YouTube up going again because I have several uh, video S ideas in my head. So that'll be uh, Nami the Nerd on YouTube as well. Thank you, Nami. And thank you all for being on this one, especially for being able to keep time. It's been it's been fabulous to be able to talk about this with such enthusiasm. Thank you. Yeah, I had great. fun too. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even let you reply. I was just like, moving on. Sorry. <laughs> Next week, Sharon and I are talking Harley Quinn in one of the surprisingly best DC animated shows of all time. And if you know what that puts it up against, you will agree that that is some pretty impressive competition. So we are covering the first two seasons before season three releases on HBO. We hold back spoilers until the end so you can, if you've never seen it ever, you can listen without fear, get a feel for it, then go watch it for yourself. We heartily recommend watching it for yourself. In the meantime, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. Bitter. And we're going to end on Laura Karpman's amazing score for Ms. Marvel. Blending the traditional superheroic brass, contemporary non-Caucasian pop, synth, and trip-hop with Asian world music in a way that feels seamless and personal and utterly revitalizing. (laughs) 